Why are churches in America so racially segregated? Almost no place in our culture can we see the racial divide so clear with no real pressure from society to divide by ethnic identity. We often identify these churches as black churches, white churches, or Hispanic churches because they are made up predominantly of one ethnicity. But is this what God intended? Is it wrong for a church to be self-segregated? In today's episode of Hardcore Christianity, Caitlin and I will attempt to answer the question, why are churches in America so racially divided? We'll explore statistics concerning the racial makeup in American churches. We'll discuss what we think could be done to bridge the gap and change the paradigm. We'll take a look at whether the Bible addresses the topic of racial divisions within the church. And we'll discuss how racism factors in the whole discussion. If you've ever wondered why churches in America are so racially divided, you'll want to stick around for this episode of Hardcore Christianity. I'd like to welcome you guys to another episode of Hardcore Christianity, where Caitlin and I will try to answer the question, why are churches in America so racially divided? I thank you, Caitlin, for joining me for another episode. Yeah, thanks for having me. We're going to solve racism. All right. This this issue right oh, here. That's that's the plan. <laughs> that's always the plan. So what? first, let's start off by kind of identifying what our personal history is on the churches. So what is your personal history with the ethnic makeup of churches that you've called home? Yes. Um, so I am, uh, first of all, I identify as white. Um, I feel like I should just make that known. Sure. Um, I was born and raised in West Michigan and still live in West Michigan. Um, and the church that I attend now, I have actually attended since I was five years old. Um, so I've been there for a long time. Have you been um, to any other churches besides this? I mean, to att- not to just visit, but to be there, to call home. Yeah. So I um, went to the suburbs of Chicago for college. And when I was there, um, I went to a couple different churches um, that were all in the either Christian Reformed or Reformed tradition. So the church I attend now is a Reformed, Mm -hmm. um, belongs to the, I think it's the Reformed Church of America. Um, And the demographics of the church that I attend now are main, I'm going to throw out a statistic that I just made up, 90% white. Um, And not only... Um, are the people who attend my church predominantly white. They're like a specific like white brand. Um, I find that most of the people I attend church with um, fall under fall under the middle to upper class socioeconomic demographic um, with nuclear families who are either third or fourth generation Americans or at least American citizens. Um, and a lot of them share a unique Dutch heritage, okay. um, which I think is a larger West Michigan demographic, but specifically in this church that I attend. Okay. That's a good background. I actually, I'm a black man married to a white woman, and we've been married for 25 years. And in the time mm-hmm. that we've been married, yes, yes. <laughs> in the time that we've been married, we've, we've basically been in churches that were predominantly white. Um, and I go to the same church that Caitlin goes to. We both attend the same church. Hey-o. And uh, I would say that our church is even whiter than you think. I think it's more of a 98% oh, good. Of, of white in our church. Now, I've been uh, to all black churches as well. I've uh, When I was growing up, um, I that's all I had was all black churches. No white people were in the churches at that time. And so I've been in both, all black and mostly white. Uh, churches. And of course, I go to the same church here in Kalamazoo um, as you do. Uh, so I've I've experienced both extremes. Mm. So it's good for to let the audience know where we're coming from. Uh, I think I 
from our makeup, I think we'll, we'll, we have some diversity even in this uh, podcast. So it'd be interesting to hear your take on this topic. So why, uh, what are we talking about when we say racially divided or should we say racially self-segregated? Is that a better term? So what would you say? Yeah, I'm, I'm interested in that. Um, so at least when I am referring to racially divided, I'm talking about the majority, so at least over 50% of that church belonging to one racial identity, um, at least that they self-identify with. Um, I think it's really important to mention that this is more than just two hours on a Sunday morning, um, because at least for me, like I'm, I'm pretty... Um, integrated into like the volunteer life um, at our church. And so the social groups, the spiritual leaders that I lean on, the mentors that I have, the Christian authors and resources that I have been referred to, all all are white. Um, I'm interested in the word racially self-segregated. Um, the only reason I, I question the word self is that while it's not like overtly illegal to to mix races in churches, I get the sense that there is a greater like cultural and institutional force at work that is hmm. separating people of color um, from white people. Okay. Well, the reason I brought up the term self-segregated is because it is my opinion, and I don't know because I don't know why everyone does what they do, uh, but it is my thought uh, when, when approaching this topic that we have a choice to which church we go to. And we decide, um, oftentimes, maybe even because of the makeup of the church, why we would go to a certain church. So it's my opinion, and this isn't supported by anything but my thoughts on the matter, is that uh, people who go to, say, an, a, a majority black or majority white or majority Hispanic church go to those churches because they decide to. Because Not because, I mean, it could be uh, partially because of where they live, but I think I would argue that has a lot to do with they decide to go that way because I think that there's a lot of churches, there are some churches even in our area where the mix is a lot better. I mean, there's a lot more of a of a mixture in the church. Um, but I, I would also argue that, you know, if, if I wanted to go to a black church, I could. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I could go to a black church. We, we have um, cars that can take us anywhere. The, the church that I go to is um, like 25 minutes away. There are churches between here and there that are good churches that I could choose to go to if I wanted to. Uh, and there are churches in, in downtown Kalamazoo that I could go to that are uh, predominantly black. So my argument is, is that we choose to go to the churches that we, that we choose to. And I think that a lot of people that are in predominantly white or predominantly black or predominantly any other um, ethnicity choose to go there for specific reasons. And I will talk about those, what my thoughts on that later. But Perfect. Got it. All right. So why are we even asking this question? Why is it relevant, would you say? Yeah. Um, and I will also admit up front here that I am very passionate about this subject. I am also not an expert. Um, so I am learning. I am actively educating myself. But there is, there's plenty of things that I'm going to say today that I might not be 100% on. Okay. Um, and so take it for what it's worth. Um, but I fully believe that racial diversity is important to God. Um, I think we see this in his word um, through the diversity of the Israelites. 
um, specifically. So most of God's will was carried out by Arabs and Semites. Um, Abraham himself was a Mesopotamian. Moses' wife um, was a Cushite, uh, came from Africa. Um, we see lots of Egyptians coming into play. I can tell you this. I'm pretty sure none of them were white. Um, I don't know that for sure. I wasn't there. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So that's one specific instance. I also think we see that in Paul's work, where his life work was dedicated to unifying the church. Um, I think we see this in all of his um, travels where he went. He was always talking about unifying the church, rallying around the the singular message that um, that God is sovereign, that Jesus, the, the message of salvation. Um, I think we see it in the book of Revelation. Um, it talks about a multi-ethnic church, people from every tongue, tribe, and nation. Hmm. Um, that verbiage is littered throughout the book of Revelation. Um, and I also think um, that there's a big emphasis in Scripture, Old and New Testament, that is specific to taking care of the orphan and the widow. And we'll go into this, mm -hmm. I'm sure, later mm -hmm. on. But I truly believe that people of color, especially in the United States, um, have been institutionally held back from some resources that my white brothers and sisters and I enjoy. Um, and so I think for the church to separate its congregations um, or, or congregations choosing to be separate, um, I think that directly defies this discussion of taking care of the orphan and the widow. Um, I also think that it's aside from the importance to God, I think it's really important for the church's success to have a diverse congregation. 60% of Kalamazoo is, um, is, is white. Uh, people identify as white. That means that six people at the table out of 10, if they are white, they represent Kalamazoo. But if we have, you know, 98% of our congregants um, are white, that means we're missing four people at the table who have a unique experience, who experience life differently than we do, who have unique thoughts and a different background and culture and some really wonderful things to add to our congregation. And I think that diversifying this group, especially leadership in the church, mm -hmm. helps us fight things like group think um, and helps us make an impact on our world. Oh, well, I I like what you're saying. I'm looking forward to, to going to getting further into this topic. And I have a question for you. I'm going to hold it off until the next the next question. But I'm going to kind of throw out a few statistics here, too, so that the audience can understand a little bit why, more why statistically this is an issue. Uh, Wikipedia, Wikipedia, which I know is one of the most, uh, you know, uh, scientifically based studies uh, mentions that as of 2001, as many as 87% of Christian churches in the United States were completely made up of only white or African American parishioners, which I thought was interesting. 87%. And the economist.com says that the most common measure used by social scientists of segregation is referred to as black white dissimilarity index, which ranges from 100, meaning completely complete cluster, clustering of black people in separate neighborhoods, to zero, which represents the perfectly even distribution. And in 1970, the dissimilarity index was an astonishing 93% of for American cities, which means that 93% of blacks would have had to move to produce a completely integrated city, which lends to my argument of the health, the self segregating. Um, concept, but it also could mean, you know, of course, where you live. PewResearch.org um, says that things that you know, they're kind of indicate that things are getting better as far as the segregation is concerned or the, um, the racially divided. It says that um, while about eight in 10 American congregates 
still attend services at a place where a single racial or ethnic group compromises at least 80% of the congregation, one in five now worship in congregations where no single racial or ethnic group predominates in such a way. Mm-hmm. So that's what Pew Research says. And that's I thought was encouraging. Mm-hmm. So anyway, that said, it still is an issue. 87% of Christians still predominantly going to either a white or all white or all black or, you know, self-segregating ourselves is something to, you know, to raise an eyebrow. So what, Caitlin, do you think? Um, do you think that it, that be, that racially divided churches are a problem? And I know you kind of alluded to this, mm-hmm. but if, if you have any other thoughts on it, do you think that uh, racially divided churches are a problem and why? Yes, if you couldn't tell from before, um, I 100% think that this is not only a problem, um, I actually think it's an emergency, um, which is strong language, but I'll tell you why. Okay. Um, First of all, I think we're not truthfully representing God's kingdom. As I mentioned before, the book of Revelation is filled with language about um, creed, culture, tongue, um, race, tribe, nation, all of those beautiful words. Um, and if we are not doing that today, are, are we just waiting for Jesus to come back and like mix us up? Um, again, we have cars, we have mm-hmm. the ability to, to intermingle. Why mm-hmm. aren't we doing it? Mm-hmm. Um, I also think that a church that is, um, predominantly white promotes, um, or at least, allows for there to be some harmful stereotypes and microaggressions that go unchecked. Okay. Um, uh, instincts are a natural thing, right? So if I see someone and I get an instinct in my head of like, I shouldn't trust that person or that person is, um, you know, okay to approach, that's a natural thing. Um, that's what protects me if I'm standing on this, the street um, in Kalamazoo and someone comes running at me with a, a sword, Right. Like mm-hmm. that, that fight or flight instinct mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. is natural and it's it's there to protect me. But when that when that instinct controls our language and our behavior and our attitudes toward people who are different than us, um, aside from that initial meeting, I think it's an incredibly dangerous and destructive thing. Um, and it's a lot easier for me to think those things if I'm not regularly meeting and developing relationships with people who don't look like me. Mm-hmm. I will give an example of what this has looked like at the church that I attend. We were talking about the parable of the Good Samaritan. We were talking about, I forget how this fit into the larger context, but we went into that discussion and part of like setting the stage was talking about how the road that these travelers were traveling on was dangerous. So all we were doing was talking about this was a dangerous place to be in terms of the the geographic location, the terrain, the people who were, um, you know, the robbers or the people who happened to be on the road. Um, And so my pastor talked about all he said was this road was a dangerous road. And the image that popped up behind him on the projector was of several black men who um, were on the street. They had no weapons. Um, They were not even an aggressive posture. One of them was riding a bike. But all he was doing was talking about the danger of this road. And the image that popped up on the screen was of black men. Wow. And then this was in your church then? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. This was about two months ago. Really? And it, was it, it was it, was it, I don't remember this. Is, yeah. is it, was it in a regular church service? Yes. It was, it was a really small issue. Okay. It was okay. like a point of a point of a point. Okay. So, um, yeah, it, it was it was mind boggling to me. Okay, and I think even more surprising to me was that no one said anything. 
And, and of course, I also didn't say anything, right? I was just kind of blown, blown away by this. But everyone else, I saw people nodding. I saw people taking notes. Hmm. Um, and that, to me, again, is an, an example of a microaggression that goes unchecked right. when you don't have the representation in your congregation. And that's incredibly harmful because we are consuming that and we are we are allowing it to subconsciously change the way that view we view people who don't look like us. Mm-hmm. So that's another one. I also think that it limits ourselves and our worldview, um, which is incredibly dangerous when it comes to our faith. So like for my experience, um, I grew up thinking that Jesus was white. Okay. Because of the images on the walls, because of the little flanograph people mm-hmm. that my Sunday school teachers would use to illustrate points. Mm-hmm. Um, and I grew up thinking that I needed to, quote unquote, help people of color. Hmm. The only people of color I was exposed to, at least that I remember in my mind, um, were those in third world countries. Mm-hmm. So I would see these images of, you know, we need to protect the orphans in Kenya or we need to feed, you know, the, the Guatemalans. And I would just, I get, I would understand like this imagery that was like put into my brain time and time again that made me understand that I, as a white person, need to, to stoop down to help the people of color. And that's a really dangerous way to view people of mm-hmm. color, especially when like m- I have a black neighbor, right? Mm-hmm. And it, that's causing me to project that kind of thinking on him. And anyways, that that's another tangent, but I think that's really important to talk about. I also grew up thinking that I knew the inner workings of poverty. I would hear conversations of, about people um, talking about the people in poverty who are taking advantage of the system. I would hear them talking about dangerous neighborhoods. I would hear them talking about poor schools. And I didn't know any stats. They weren't providing any kind of statistical information. All I knew was that the people who made up those communities who my loved ones were talking about were a were predominantly people of color. Mm-hmm. And so hearing that message over and over and not having any close personal relationships with people of color formed my opinion of who they were, what they needed from me, how I was to serve them, mm-hmm. um, and also thinking that the God I served was white, mm. which is outrageous, right? I mean, the Old Testament took place in ancient um, Israel. Mm-hmm right? Full of Arabic people. Mm-hmm. If it wasn't for the work of Paul, I wouldn't even know who <laughs> Jesus was. Right. So that is just, to me, why I think that this is this is an emergency. Okay. This is a, a big issue, and it's going to continue to affect future generations until we do something about it. I so. find that very fascinating, what you just said, um, and encouraging. Um, being a black man in a predominantly white society, let alone white church, uh, it's nice to hear um, someone besides someone besides myself. Not that I'm I'm not a big I don't speak out about this, but to hear you talk is really really in, uh, inspiring. Um, I actually when you because this is a, a topic that you had kind of pitched to me that would be a good topic, which I agree that it is. But I have to confess that um, when I first heard about the topic, I wasn't quite sure if it was a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, I knew what was happening. And I think as far as my my point of view is concerned, it is a problem. But I don't know how much I thought it was a church problem. Mm. Uh, it there definitely is a cultural problem. But see, I come from a uh, – I actually do work at a university 
um, local university where there is a lot of diversity. Uh, we do a, a really good job of going to different um, places around the world and recruiting people of different ethnicities and cultures to come and join us on campus. And to be able to see, and I'm around this, this environment most of my day. Mm. Uh, so I see interactions between multiple races and how things could be and probably should even be in our in, in churches. So I can see that on a daily basis and it's really, really nice. Mm. But I also understand uh, the human nature and the human desire to be around things that are familiar. Um, so that said, I do think, well, and also I guess I want to preference this episode too as saying that we're currently talking about American churches. I mean, there are right. churches around the right. world that uh, have different, I mean, maybe the whole country is a specific ethnicity, so you really can't do a whole lot of mixing, whereas uh, America, of course, is the melting pot. We talk about um, different ethnicities, and we do have several ethnic ethnicities in America. So that said, we are talking about American churches. Um I think that uh, that is a problem for our culture as a whole and that it reflects our human nature. Um, there is comfort being around those who look like you and are accepting of you. I'm married to a white woman, as I mentioned earlier in the episode, and um, I'm not sure how comfortable I would feel going to an all-black church, to be honest with you. Uh, I'm not sure how judged I'd feel. Uh, I don't care so much about what white people think about our relationship, but I do care about what black people think about it. Mm. And I think that if I were to go into a black, all black church with a white woman, I think I would be, I feel, and this is, I'm sure there's some truth to it, but I think that I'd be judged. Mm. And I fear that. I don't want mm. that. So I have a choice of going to a black church, mm -hmm. uh, but I, I choose to go to a white church. I self-segregate my wife into the white church, and I'm I'm fine with it. <laughs> but but so so coming from that point of view, um, I can see, I can definitely, I can understand why people self-segregate. Mm -hmm. Let's go on to our next question here. Then is it okay if I say something? Sure, like, go right ahead. I'm sorry, just I have so much to say. Um, yes, and I 100% agree. I think that I am very comfortable in the church that I am right now, and would be less comfortable. Um, in an all-black church. I have been to an all-black church, and uh -huh. I do feel uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that uh, there is something to be said about worshiping in a space where you feel safe, um, where you feel comfortable to be who you are, mm -hmm. to authentically worship God. Um, and I have heard that argument paralleled with an argument of, um, well, if we're all worshiping the same God, does it matter that we are separate? And the only, again, I'm, I'm, I'm a pusher, so I'm pushing back, Um the the only thing that I really have to say about that is if we look at just the institution of the church, right? We have maybe two facilities, one white, one black. They're different. They have different um, cultural um, implications and the people have different desires to worship differently and, and be in different spaces. To me, that would be okay if those two institutions had equal opportunity, were given equal authority, had equal rights, mm -hmm. had equal um, access. But what I, and I we won't go into a deep history lesson here, um, but what I'm becoming more aware of is a lack of socioeconomic freedom um, and um, the denial of a lot of different 
rights dating all the way back to the days of slavery Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. that the black american community is still recovering from so the way that i view that is that there are two facilities one of them has access and rights and Mm. freedom that is generations ahead of another one so now it doesn't become two different clubs Mm -hmm. it's one club that has a lot of stuff Mm -hmm. and one that's not there yet Mm -hmm. and when we don't intermingle if we don't share that platform that recess resource that access we're we're completely leaving one of those institutions at, at a complete disadvantage that's an interesting argument i like it i think that we'll talk more about that later on in the, in the episode because i do have something some things to say about that but okay. uh, i'm gonna let that sit for now and uh head on to our next question which is what could be done to bridge the gap uh to change this paradigm what would you say well, we're going to fix it right now. Exactly. This is it. Tune, uh, listen up. This is the answer right here. Caitlin's got, yes. Caitlin's got it. Um, on that point, exactly. I don't think that this is an issue that can be solved overnight. Um, racism and racist institutional practice has been around for centuries, and it will take time. It will not happen in my lifetime. I am coming to terms with that. <laughs> it is sad. Um, it may not happen in my children's lifetime, but it will happen. Um, And I think it's important to just, um, first of all, bathe the issue in prayer. Um, I think this breaks God's heart. It breaks God's heart because I've asked him to show me how he views the world, and it breaks my heart. (laughs) I'm sitting over here trying not to get emotional. (laughs) Um, But I think it's really important to bathe the issue in prayer, um, to educate ourselves about the issue at play both within the church and in the larger context of our country. There are a lot of really amazing resources. If you are a local listener, there is a program called ERACE that exists here in Kalamazoo. Um, It's an organization dedicated to educating individuals and corporations on racial equity um, and helps to dismantle racism at all levels. They have workshops, one-day workshops, two-and-a-half-day workshops, just incredible opportunities to learn more. the Kalamazoo Public Library has a lot of resources. They list their resources on their website. Um, if you are not local, you can contact your local library, local government to learn more about anti-racism efforts in your community. Um, obviously, books, podcasts, movies, articles. Um, and within the church, the Christian Reformed Church and the National Council of Churches um, both have resources and actually host anti-racism workshops. Mm-hmm. So there is a lot of really great things that are happening right now and it's so important to make sure that we educate ourselves Mm -hmm. both as people of color and white folk um, to make sure that we're talking about this in a way that is informed and educated and respectful and and that we're not doing more harm Mm -hmm. by talking about this in an uneducated way I, I think I'm going to give you a little pushback this time. Ooh, yeah, do it. My turn. Uh, but first, I'm going to I'm going to start by agreeing with some of the things you said, and then I'm going to throw in a little bit of of I don't know. Pushbacks might, might not be the right word, but a different perspective. Yep, let's say. Go for it. All right. So, um, thoughtco.com uh, has five ways to, to make your racially segregated church more diverse. I would like your opinion on some of these things, mm-hmm. which I do. I have to pre- I preface by saying I agree with the sentiment behind these things, and even some of the application of them. So the first one is uh, music can draw a diverse group of followers. Uh, the idea that if we're going to uh, help the churches be more um, uh, ethnically diverse, then we need to consider the music choices that we make in our churches, which I think is a good idea. Mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, um, I remember my wife and I, we, have, we used to do a program called Christian Music Videos where we had a lot of different types of music. And we actually went to a outreach organization. Uh, 
effort uh, where we were trying to reach <clears throat> a black community. And uh, some of the music that we, we, we invited these, uh, these local artists to come. And some of the artists were white performers and they played music that was um, uh, more um, digestible for white listeners. Mm. And so the, the listeners in the crowd just kind of dispersed and they weren't really paying attention to what was going on. And then one of my, my friend, Marilio Rios, who is, uh, he's a Hispanic guy but he was doing some christian rap and it really people really got into his music that said is that i think that the music choices may matter may have an impact as to what can be effective to helping to bridge that gap uh second is serving in diverse this is this is their list by the way it's not yeah. my list uh serving in diverse locations can attract diverse worshipers so if you outreach um, to try and attract, uh, to go to different locations, you can attract different people from those locations. I think that makes sense. Um, but I would say to be careful to be, we, we have this whole idea, and I, I'll get into this more later, uh, us versus them mentality mm -hmm. uh, that I think needs to be addressed with that one. I'll get more into that later. Um, uh, launch a foreign, langu foreign language ministry, uh, which I think we do in our church. We actually have um, a Hispanic uh church that is being formed in one of our outreach church or sister churches. So I thought that was good. It's neat. It's a good idea. Uh, diversify your staff. I know that we have uh, an African-American um, teaching pastor that, that uh, does a lot of our uh, messages at our church. He preaches sometimes. Mm -hmm. That's a good thing uh, to help people of different ethnicities to see that there is um, uh, people of color and leadership, I think might be a good way to draw and to, to bridge that gap. And understanding uh, the history of the segregation in the churches, and you kind of mentioned that a little bit in your talk. And but I would add that planting a church in an ethnically diverse area could be could be helpful. Going to them instead of having them come to us. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the quotes from this uh, thoughtco.com was, "Diversifying a church isn't easy. As religious institutions engage in racial reconciliation, racial tensions inevitably surface. Some racial groups may feel that they're not being represented enough by a church, while other racial groups may feel that they are being attacked or for having too much power. So all that said, hmm. uh, here, here is my, my thought on it. I think that these are helpful, but I think they're kind of superficial efforts uh, because they don't get to the root of the problem. And I think that the root of the problem comes down to the heart of both ethnicities. And it's not a simple fix, which you've already said. It wouldn't happen in your lifetime or maybe your children's lifetime. Mm -hmm. But there always seems to me to be an us versus them mentality. Uh, us, maybe the white church saying, and the, them being the black culture, uh, us versus them. And until we can see each other as us, in my opinion, there will be no unity. Mm -hmm. I think that to me, is the core of the problem. Um, because if I go to a church and I don't feel like we're together, if they're like, oh, you're them and we're us, mm -hmm. until we can bridge that gap, I don't think, I don't think that that will ever, it'll ever work. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I think that the liberal media has gotten right, and this is, <laughs> I don't ever really say this on the show, <laughs> but this is my opinion. Real news. I think, yeah, yes. <laughs> Ready? Ready for this? Yep. Um, I think that the uh, that the liberal media has gotten it right with their commercials and with the way that they do some of their programming where they um, make black, white, Hispanic, different races um, seem intelligent, successful, 
and it doesn't matter which race they are. I've seen I've seen commercials where there is um, interracial marriages. I've seen commercials where the black person is the doctor or whatever. And it it didn't used to be that way. I, I remember growing up uh, uh, where it was never uh, the black person was never a person of power or mm-hmm. a person of of uh, intelligence. Not to say that it was as bad as it used to be even years for, years before that, but it is to say that the new way that um, the media is is showing um, racial. Uh, diversity and integration, I think is powerfully good. I think that um, when we watch, it's, it's amazing what how we watch and view things, how that affects our minds and, ho- and how we can think about certain things. I think it is, an, this is an unpopular argument as well, that I think that interracial marriages encourage interracial churches. Because with interracial marriages, we mix cultures. Uh, we are exposed to large groups of other ethnicities, um, helping us to feel like we're more comfortable around other groups. And as we mix, we fear less. And if we fear less uh, what people are thinking of us, we no longer fear what we don't understand and we are, um, or fear what we're uncomfortable around. And we can, after that, we can uh, let ourselves be ourselves. Uh, one of the things that, um, that I find is that when I'm around some a group of people that I don't feel comfortable around, I can't feel like myself. Sometimes I try to pretend like I'm them. I could see, uh, like if I'm in in, in a in a, a area where there's um, people behaving in a certain way, I'll want to behave like them, even if that's not who I am, mm-hmm. just so that I could feel included. Mm-hmm. And so I think that um, that that is where the core is. Mm-hmm. I think you could do you could do a lot of programs and you can have a lot of plans and a lot of the things that I mentioned in the in the beginning of this. Uh, this portion, I think are good things. They're good ideas, but they're mm-hmm. external ideas. Mm-hmm. I think that when it gets down to the heart of the matter, I think it comes down to how the how we consider the us versus them. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not saying just like white people saying we're us and the black people are them. I think it's vice versa too, where black churches might say, well, us and those other guys are them mm-hmm. until we can integrate. And my argument about interracial, and I, I say that, um, to prove a point, not to say that that's the way we should it, it should go, but I think that once integration like that happens, it's forced and it's and it's it becomes comfortable. I'm I'm married to a white woman, and uh, you know, knowing her family inevitably makes me more comfortable around that culture, that race, um, seeing white people a lot, integrating with white people a lot, and likewise with her, being that she's married to a black man when she's around my mostly black family. It inevitably makes her more comfortable because now she can relate and see that we're ordinary people. We could be ourselves around her and not have to pretend like, you know, we're super smart or we're, we're we, our, our, our language has to be uh, checked so that we don't speak in a way that is not comfortable for her. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I think it comes down to a deeper level of the us versus them mentality. Yes, absolutely. I should have specified when I was talking about educate yourself. At this point, I am talking at an individual level. This is not the church necessarily leading a seminar this is this is up to us the congregants the people who make up the church it is our responsibility to become educated at how to talk about this topic and then my second point is to develop those real authentic relationships Um, this is different than just treating everyone the same or treating everyone nicely Mm -hmm. this is going out of our way as you mentioned to develop real relationships where we can learn about people and we can see them interact with people that look different than us and have different backgrounds than us um 
And I think that that is where we break down the barrier of us versus them. Mm -hmm. Because it's so easy for me to talk about what I think someone's experience is like. Um, But until I actually meet someone who's going through something that I don't understand because of my whiteness, Mm -hmm. that is where we break down those barriers. Um, So I 100% agree. I think things like music, um, all, all all of the church level decisions, I think it's important to be intentional about the kinds of things that we are representing um, as church leaders. But where we are really going to see that difference is by developing real authentic relationships. Hmm. And that's not me going up to John Doe and saying, oh, you're black. I'm going to make you the voice of black people for right, me. Right, right. I'm going to go up to you and I'm going to friend you so that I can say I have a black friend. Mm-hmm. Right? Like it's, <laughs> it's so much more than that. It's going out of our traditional socio or social circles, right? It's it's volunteering in different communities than we normally would or um, spending time on different like councils or leadership bodies or whatever it looks like um, to, to, to actually develop real authentic relationships where we are doing the same thing we would, I would do the same thing I would with a white person, mm-hmm. get to know them, and then let's talk about some of these issues after we've developed an authentic relationship. Hmm. I look forward to hearing some of your answers on part two of this episode because uh, there's some, I would I would mention it now, but I know the questions are coming. So we'll just take a break right now. But um, when we come back, we'll explore what the Bible says about racial, racial divisions within the church. We'll take a look at how the role of racism contributes to the whole discussion of the divide. And we'll discuss whether self-segregating is fundamentally contrary to God's plan for the church. So stay with us. If you'd like to let us know your thoughts about this episode, or if you have an episode topic that you'd like to hear us talk about on the show, feel free to drop us an email at writecmv at hotmail.com. That's W-R-I-T-E-C-M-V at hotmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Listen to half-hour episodes of the Christian Music Podcast online or download them to your computer or mobile device and take them with you. Discover independent Christian artists while exercising, commuting to work, doing chores, or any time you need to get your Christian music fix. Just go to ktfproductions.com and find the Christian Music Podcast link to access the Christian Music Podcast. Boldly proclaim your faith while also supporting the Hardcore Christianity Podcast. Find Hardcore Christianity t-shirts, hoodies, tank tops, smartphone cases, pillows, mugs, and more. Just go to the Hardcore Christianity page at ktfproductions.com for links to the store. Today, Caitlin and I are attempting to answer the question, why are churches in America so racially divided? In the first part of the show, we examined the racial makeup of American churches. We offered our personal opinions as to why racially divided churches may be a problem, and we discussed what what could be done to change this paradigm. But in this segment, we'll begin by taking a closer look at what the Bible says about racially divided churches. So, Caitlin... What does the Bible say about racially divided churches? 
<laughs> yes. So I had mentioned earlier um, just a couple examples of diversity in both the Old and New Testament. Talked about the diversity of Israel, Paul's life mission to unify the church. Mm-hmm. Um, touched on it a little bit in the book of Revelation. But another really great example, I think, is the story of Pentecost. Um, which is a celebration of unity in Christ despite different heritages, languages, um, and shows that the Holy Spirit is equally distributed to people of all backgrounds. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a really powerful image of what the church could look like should this be implemented. I do think that there is notably little um, that actually speaks to the racial makeup of the church or breakdown of the church. Um, But I also think that the Bible, especially the New Testament, says notably little on the form of 21st century churches in That's general. That's true. That's true. Um, so I think that it fits right in line with that. However, we still see that this is an important issue to God because of the way that it is playing out um, in some of his early church leaders. Mm-hmm. I think it also talks about the uh, the heart of God and inclusivity, inclusivity and unity uh, within the body of Christ. Um, in Acts chapter 17, verse 26 which is talking about you know the man, mankind itself. It says, from one man, he made all the nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their land. Just basically saying that all, uh, he made everyone. So we're all pretty much equal in God's sight. And we should be equal in man's sight. And I think that on the surface, we think that, but I'm not quite sure how much underneath we believe that. And in Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 through 28 says, So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for you're all one in Christ. So um, if I were to answer the question, what does the Bible say about racially divided church? What it does say, it says it says a lot about the unity of the body of Christ. And as you pointed out, I mean, the New Testament, I think, does has a really clear picture of of God bringing um, different uh, the, the Jews and the Gentiles. I mean, once the once the door was open to the Gentiles, there's so many uh, different cultures and ethnicities that were brought together. Now, in the Old Testament. Um, I would argue that that was more about uh, the the Israelites remaining separate from different cultures so that they're not uh, tainted by their um, multiple God systems. Mm -hmm. But in the New Testament, now that everyone's invited, we need to have um, uh, that in mind. Even Peter had a problem. He struggled with that. And so we need to uh, um, understand the character of God through Acts uh, and through the New Testament of even Paul's ministry of uh, uh, bringing in the Gentiles and, and ministering to the Gentiles. So so what role does racism play in this whole discussion? Yes. So for me, and this is a strong opinion, I realize it, I think that racism is at the core of this issue, whether we would like to call it that or not. Um, we have talked a little bit about just the history of racism in the U.S. and the extreme um institutionalized practice that has really put people of color at a disadvantage. Um, So, I mean, there was, we were denying people of color citizenship up until the 14th Amendment, which means they could not purchase property, which is finance 101. That's how we're accumulating wealth, intergenerational wealth, right, is to purchase property. Denied the right to vote. So then we have a lack of representation at the policy level. Um, We have employment discrimination, 
Um, we have the act of redlining um, and the discrimination with the Federal Housing Administration. Um, there's actually language in the manual about how we sh- how banks banks were instructed to steer clear of areas um, considered in, of inharmonious racial groups. That word, those words were in the manual of mm-hmm. this this commission. We see um, disparity um, of justice in our in our current the way we criminalize, and then we see it in medical malpractice. I mean, there is just history upon history, and it's still we're still recovering. Mm-hmm. There are still incredibly staggering statistics about the white person's progress versus the black person's progress, and uh, um, the brown person. I mean, there's there's mm-hmm, so right. much more that we'll call right. people of color. Yes, but from from way from way long ago i think we like to think about like slavery as the end of racism um but it still exists and mm-hmm. in every form in mm-hmm. any institutionalized form and uh, sadly a lot a lot of well-meaning christians have been at the forefront of some of this racist work i mean sometimes hmm. we forget that the kkk started as a christian hmm. institution burning of the cross hmm. right i mean there's there's so much to unpack there mm-hmm. um and i think that you know while no one is going to come out and say well i i don't feel comfortable being around people of color or i don't feel comfortable being around white people i think that those are the kind of thoughts that we have been socialized to normalize Hmm. um and that is what at the heart of this segregation that that's that's what's driving all of Mm -hmm. this well it sounds like a tough nut to crack (laughs) right (laughs) yeah uh let me bring up something that uh cnn.com says and this is kind of uh alludes to some of the stuff i had mentioned before uh de young uh which is a study he started a study it says that which says that he encountered many blacks who said that they wanted a racial timeout on sunday they would say, I need a place of refuge, he says. They they said, I need to come to a place on Sunday morning where I don't experience racism. And he also says that whites are uh, also complain of their own version of racial fatigue. So that to me says that, uh, yeah, well, racism certainly plays a role in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think that... Um, it, I, I think I, it comes back to the idea that people go to where they feel comfortable. Mm-hmm. And if racism is an issue for people in their daily lives, um, and it also still is an issue within the church where it, of course, shouldn't be, then people will choose the place where they feel a more comfortable racially. Yeah. Um, and then I, I agree with what you said about, uh, I, I'll put it this way, that I think that there are different levels of racism. Mm-hmm. Uh, from... BiblicalGenderRoles.com, and I want to mention this before I go further because he, he kind of says it from a white person's perspective of what I'm thinking. And he, this is an article that was written, and the title was, Is Self-Segregation a Sin in the Bible? And the quote from this article was, Most Christian Americans, including myself, condemn, condemn the words and actions of white supremacists, the KKK, and neo-Nazis. But in our private lives, whether it be who we date or marry, the neighborhoods in which we live or the church we attend, we live racially segregated lives. So I think that, uh, and you said it, I think you have a lot more, a longer list of, uh, of things that are um, inherently racial in the makeup of what it is that's happening. But on the surface, it might not be said as racism. Mm-hmm. Um, so I like how he, and I think that there are so many believers 
and Americans in general who would speak out against KKK and neo-Nazis and those type of overt racist um, uh, behaviors. Mm -hmm. And because even now, it's uh, it's politically incorrect Mm -hmm. to align with those types of ideologies Mm -hmm. where it used to not be. Thank God today that it is. Mm -hmm. But even that, there's so many things going on in the minds and the hearts of people uh, that go that are deeper and that um, people don't even know that they may even harbor or have that um, will make them feel uncomfortable around a certain uh, uh, ethnic group. And mm-hmm. it could be because of what they're taught. It could be because of what they saw on television that kind of trained them that way. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that uh, that that the whole level, the whole gamut of racism um, is is at play, not only in the church, but in our culture. Um, and, I, and I would have to admit that I think that there might be some listeners right now who may have heard me say that I'm a black man married to a white woman who may have frowned a bit when they heard me say that. Mm-hmm. And so I think that, that even that is a form of racism, mm-hmm. uh, of not, uh, wanting to accept that. Mm-hmm. So I think that there's a lot at play here when it comes to racism on both sides, on all sides, I would say, of the of the 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 divide. Mm-hmm. So I can understand the the quote that was mentioned about um, black people wanting to to be you know to get away from the whole uh, racism Absolutely. thing. Like, let me go to a church where I can just breathe and relax and be around people who are like me and, and accept me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I also understand the argument from the white person who said, "Yeah, I'm not. I mean, I don't agree with the neo Nazis and the KKK, but I do realize that you know." where I live matters, um, who I associate with matters, some of the little underlying things that make people who they are matter. Mm-hmm. I'm really glad that you brought that up from um, the the black exhaustion, right? Or that, that fatigue, not fatigue, fatigue the, the need for a sanctuary. Mm-hmm. I'm really glad that you brought that up because I do think that as important as it is for segregation to be broken down, there is a lot of work that needs to happen first in white congregations. This is not a person of color issue. This is a white person issue. So my brothers and sisters, us (laughs) white folks, this is our responsibility to educate ourselves and to take responsibility, even if not for our own personal actions, but for the larger institutionalized practices that are still in effect today. I think it's so important for us to do that work and to, again, be authentic and form authentic relationships before we just say we're going to intermingle. Because of that, because of that thought of, um, you know, I I face so many challenges every day because of the color of my skin. Mm -hmm. The last thing I want to do is feel like I am being judged Mm -hmm. um, equally at my place of worship. I totally understand that. And I think it's hard for people... Christians to think uh, to separate the church from the world, you know, the mm-hmm. the life in the church and the life in the world. It's like, um, I don't know, people might think, well, the, the church should be different because we're church people, we're mm-hmm. Christian people, you know, but in the world, okay, it could be that way in the world, but in the church, it needs to be different. But mm-hmm. it's, it the lines are blurred. And even though, you know, we think that a church should be one way, it doesn't. It, we're still made up of people and people who have these underlying things in us. And if it's that way in the world, it doesn't mean it's going to automatically change when you get into the church setting. And I think sometimes we want that to happen. Mm-hmm. And as we've been talking today, oftentimes it's not like we talk about, well, this is going on only in the church. No, this is going on everywhere. And mm-hmm. one thing affects the other. 
Mm-hmm, absolutely. So what would you say to a believer who thinks that our churches are better off being racially divided? Oh, boy. Um, <laughs> I've had some of these conversations. I really like to ask people about their relationships. Um, like, take a look at, take a inventory, if you will, of your social surroundings. How many people of color are in your life? How many people of color are in your phone? How many people of color are you interacting with on a regular basis? Um, How many people of color would be in your wedding if you got married today? What kind of relationships are you having with people who are different than you, who are raised in a different situation than you? And I think there's so much to be said about that exchange of relationship. Um, And I truly do think that that helps to to understand why it's so important for us to um, to pave that way to create or to break down that segregation. Um, I also think it's really important to invite people to education and to training. Um, I think there are people who would say, you know, the churches are better off, quote unquote, or maybe there's no harm in churches being racially divided. But if you then ask someone to learn more and they say no, then there's another issue going on, mm-hmm. right? Whether mm-hmm. it's an overt or internal or whatever that might be. I think those are two different things. Ignorance versus intentionally not wanting to learn more mm-hmm. about the issue. I also think it's so important for us white folk to really push back and to stand up um, when we hear some of these issues. When we hear like these little microaggressions or like I mentioned before, images up on the mm-hmm. screen that are, mm-hmm. do not represent what we're talking about. Because the longer we stay silent about these, the, these, this issue, um, it really it speaks volumes. Mm-hmm. And I go back to this whole concept of like Paul in the early church. If they had kept to themselves and not have gone out and broken down some of those barriers, how would that affect us? Mm-hmm. How would that affect me as a white person living Mm -hmm. in 21st century United States? So that's, yeah, that's what I would say. Well, it's interesting how much of racism is a taught behavior. I mean, it really is taught. Mm -hmm. And whether we intentionally learn what we've learned or whether we uh, uh, sought it out or uh, purposefully learned what we learned, Mm -hmm. it is taught. Even uh, black people, and I I say this as a, I mean, it's, it's an umbrella statement. But um, we are taught, uh, at least in my in my generation, that we are that we are less than, mm-hmm. that we mm-hmm. should be like our white counterparts, that we are um, that we that we it, it, it's instilled in us. And I'm not quite sure where that comes from, but I know that the media and I keep bringing this up because it's true. The media has a lot to say about that, which is why I'm so happy about where I mean where I see some of the media going. I mean, mm-hmm. some of the things that they're doing, I, I don't agree with. But I would say that if that I believe that if we were to be more racially accepting, the church could become a model for our country, and that that would be great if our church could become a model for what of, for what our country should be. And I think that, and I bring back to the university setting where, where I've gone, where I go, I think that that is a good model, at least on the surface, because I think that um, people that I see at the university setting where we have all the different racial makeups, and there are a lot, there really are. Mm-hmm. And I think that the, the um, relationships are, you, it doesn't look, from the outside looking in, it doesn't look like for the majority of the interactions that I've witnessed on campus, that there is that uh, barrier of, you know, the race playing a role. Mm-hmm. It's just like, you know, you're an educated person and I'm an educated person, yep. then let's kind of get together and communicate. And I don't, 
I don't see a lot of that happening, at least on the surface. I know that some of these things are ingrained and, and we're taught when we were young and that's hard to get rid of. Mm-hmm. But it does speak to me to say that, uh, for, like from John 13, 35, which says, uh, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So I think is our job to be a church that loves one another, mm-hmm. to actively love one another. And uh, that looks all-inclusive. And if we start to exclude, then we're then I don't think one another is is being represented in, mm-hmm. in this biblical statement. Mm-hmm. So if self-segregating is contrary to God's plan for the church, what does that say about our God? Yeah. Um, gosh, God is a God of unity. He is a God of justice. And I can't... For me, for someone who is so passionate about this topic, I see I see so much of what breaks God's heart. I, I, I see a vision of what the perfect, perfect, what the future church can look like. Mm-hmm. And it it breaks my heart that it's not where it's at. So what would you what would the ideal church look like to you? What does what does it how why does I'm trying to get to the point where the place where your where your your mind is at. What what does that look like to you? Yeah, yeah. I see um, a church made up of all different kinds of people, right? So people who are Americans or not Americans. Are, are we talking about the American church? Like, the American church. Okay. Um, I see people who are of all different walks of life. I see people in leadership positions who are immigrants or who are um, American citizens but people of color. I see outreach programs that are specific to standing up for the rights of people who um, are disadvantaged. Um, I see a church that has opened doors to people who have fallen upon hard times um, and that are not seen as um, dead weight, who are not seen as taking advantage of the system. Mm-hmm. I see a church where this open kind of dialogue um, happens and a place where the leadership and the congregation as a whole are always becoming more educated on how to raise the level of dignity of all people. Hmm. Wow, that's, that's, a that's, that's good though. <laughs> we got a long way to go for that. I mean, yeah. <laughs> if I, I don't know if I would, I don't know where that starts because there are a lot of issues in humanity and in the church. And when someone preaches from the pulpit, you only have so many messages. I mean, how much time do you spend on this as opposed to something else? Mm -hmm. And it just seems like a, like a, like it's really tough. But I like what you said about that God is God of unity, which is what I was thinking too, Mm -hmm. as to why, as to what to say about our God. And in Psalm chapter 133, verse one, it says, how good and pleasant is it when God's people live together in unity, which I think is a really, a really good verse Mm -hmm. uh, for this topic. So what are some of the takeaways that will help us become more hardcore in our faith? Yeah. um, Gosh, we've just, we've covered so much. I think the biggest one for me is for my, for my white folk out there, myself included, it is our responsibility to learn about what the, what injustice is happening right now to our brothers and sisters of color and to recognize our own privilege to recognize that being in a Bible-believing home is a privilege, having a nuclear family is a privilege, mm. having American citizenship is a privilege, living in a neighborhood where I can come home from school, have a meal, not worry about um, being unsafe in my home, not worrying about barriers that my brothers and sisters of color have to worry about, not being my black friend, Caitlin, 
right? <laughs> like I'm, I'm just Caitlin and I take that for granted. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that that's huge for us to acknowledge what privilege we have that not everyone has um, to become educated and then to develop those real authentic relationships to learn about what other people's experiences. Hmm. I had one of those top points was, was mine as well, is to step out of your comfort zone and engage other ethnicities, but out of the spirit of unity and not to check off a box, you know, like right. you're saying, not to do right. it because I want to have my black or white or Hispanic friend, uh, but to do it in an effort to love your neighbor and to understand those of other ethnicities. Mm-hmm. Um, I find it very encouraging when I see families who adopt uh, races that are other than that than theirs Mm -hmm. i think that is really cool because to me that not only does that is that i do i think that's cool that they're willing to do that it shows that they're open to other racial that they're not racist (laughs) yeah and they're they're experiencing life through that child exactly exactly Mm -hmm. so it gives them a, a, a like i said about interracial marriages um this is another type of interracial family. Mm-hmm. So I think that once you uh, join yourself with a with a child or someone else of another ethnicity, it opens up a whole new world for you. And not only does that break down the barriers for that specific ethnicity, I think it breaks down the barrier for all ethnicities because you can now see that, okay, well, this is this particular ethnicity or this person's through this person's point of view, but also that can translate for other um, ethnicities as well, which I think is will help, help break down barriers itself. Mm-hmm. But I would also say to try to squash the us versus them mentality, which I think is huge. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think people do us versus them without even thinking it. Uh, and, and it's well-intentioned. I've had... Um, uh, I've gone to churches before where, you know, my wife and I, being that we're interracial, someone might say to me, oh, I know this other interracial couple. You've got to, you've got to meet them. And it's like, mm-hmm. what, what, that that to me now says is us versus them. Mm-hmm. It's now like, oh, well, you can't meet anyone. No, you got to meet this pe- this person because they're like you. They're not mm-hmm. like me, but they're like you. And it's like when you start to divide us, instead of just treating me like any of your white friends or your, mm-hmm. your ethnically uh, similar friends, then I start to feel like I'm them and not mm-hmm. us anymore. Mm-hmm. And so I think that once we start to break that down uh, and it just... Like the university context that I was talking about where everyone seems to just not even care. I'm not saying they don't see uh, um, ethnicity. I just think that it's not a barrier. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I also think that we should try not to fear others. And when I say that, I think one of the things that you, when you get to the place where you know you're comfortable, where you know that barrier isn't there anymore, is when you can really be yourself. Mm-hmm. Like when I'm with my wife, I can be as silly as a stupid. I can say dumb things that I just because that's who I am, mm-hmm. which I wouldn't say in front of some other people until I got to know them better. Right. Uh, but once you can find a, a, a friend or a group of people or a church where you can now be yourself, that's a really good thing. So once ethnic barriers can break uh, down is I think is when people can feel themselves, can be themselves and not for not fear of looking of judgment mm-hmm. of judgment. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then also I would say pray for unity because I just think, I mean, as you mentioned, I love how, when I asked you what that looks like. I mean, just to imagine what our country would look like if, if our racial barriers were broken down and our uh, denominational barriers were broken, how awesome that would be. Mm-hmm. That would just be great. Absolutely. Yeah. Any closing thoughts on the subject Would you do you have? Yeah, I think we pretty much touched on it all. Um I do want to make a little disclaimer. I had mentioned, you know, we've been talking throughout this about 
those genuine relationships, about really learning about other people's experiences. I do want to be, I want to be very specific in saying that we don't make friends with people who don't look like us so that they can represent their people group. We, I, for example, John Doe, my black friend that I made up, um, <laughs> it is not his responsibility to teach me about exactly. his experience. Yes. I do not want to make him speak for all black mm-hmm. people. Mm-hmm. I also do not want to put him through any traumatic experiences that he has already faced. That's not on me. Mm-hmm. I am responsible to educate myself. Um, but in developing a close relationship with my friend John Doe, I am just through my interactions with him learning more about his experience. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something I don't know if I was specific about enough. Mm-hmm. Um, so just really wanted to, to drive that home. Yeah, you know, that's one of my pet peeves too, is when someone says to me, so David, what do black people think about this? Yeah. As if I know what all black people would think about <laughs> anything, or if all black people do think collectively about any specific thing. But people are, you know, the, people are so complex. Mm-hmm. No one's ever any one thing. And so we need to, th- I think it benefits us to look at people as people and, uh, you know, yeah, we carry different things with us. My ethnicity is part of who I am, mm-hmm. but it isn't everything that who I am. And my ethnicity doesn't speak for other people of the same ethnicity right. as well. I mean, there may be several commonalities, but um, I can't speak for a whole a whole race of people. So right. I, I'm glad you brought that up. That's important to know. Mm-hmm. Well, I want to thank you, the listener, for spending time with us as we explore the question, why are churches in America so racially divided? I hope you enjoyed the show. And be sure to join us next time as we explore another challenging topic from a Christian worldview. But until then, I encourage you to make every effort to keep your walk hardcore. See you soon. If you'd like to let us know your thoughts about this episode, or if you have an episode topic that you'd like to hear us talk about on the show, feel free to drop us an email at writecmv at hotmail.com. That's W-R-I-T-E-C-M-V at Hotmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Hardcore Christianity is produced by KTF Productions. Thanks for listening and God bless.